Perhaps the most controversial topic of discussion in our day revolves around truth. Opinions often blur the lines of an objective truth. Streaming platforms, social media, and other mediums allow individuals to project their truths upon the masses like never before. In the midst of woke, cancel culture, religious freedoms, political liberties, social injustice, we attempt to search for and reveal the truth. This is Truth Revival. All right, all right. Welcome back. My name is Roman Hamilton. This is episode 14, Post-Pandemic Ministry. With me today, we've got Mr. Paul Chapman. And again, for the second time, Jamie Johnson, not the country singer. (laughs) And also, Dennis Cagle. Dennis Cagle. So guys, in our uh, previous episode with you all, we discussed preaching versus pastoring. And what we discovered is there's a difference. Yes. Not every preacher is called to be a pastor pastor. and being a pastor takes it. I don't want to say that it's a different level because I think they're, they're equal, you know, in terms of importance, the importance and significance, but being a pastor takes a person with a special kind of heart, Mm -hmm. caring for people, being a shepherd of the flock. Dennis actually brought up a topic that I felt was very relevant and that one we needed to discuss but Dennis, could you just introduce this topic? Well, but when this airs, I will probably have had a birthday, which will make me 60. Oh. And in my 60 years, uh, the church has experienced something in the last 18 months that we have not experienced in the previous 60 years, to my knowledge, not that I can remember. And that is uh, the lockdown, pandemic and how that it has affected church. I don't know of another time in U.S. history when congregations have gone months and months and months without meeting corporately for worship, prayer, and Bible study. And so uh, I remember last year in the spring of 2020 and in the month of March, all at once, Everybody canceled the service, and within three weeks, every pastor was a televangelist, man. (laughs) Everybody had a Facebook ministry going. Which I thought was phenomenal. Yes, and uh, and now I'm wondering how we've changed, how we've developed, and more changes are yet to come, I think, Mm. without a doubt, in ministry to help us be sharper and more effective. One of the things that I'm hearing right now is that COVID numbers are on the rise. Oh, yeah. And we may have to, yet again, modify services. And I just want to say this. This may be spilling the beans too early. But Dennis, 18 months, was a lot of churches that were closed down. They shut their doors, online services. And you know, everybody said, here's what I heard a lot in our church. We can't wait to get back. Or I just want things to get back to normal. Right. And the question yeah. I want to pose is, do you think God really wants us to go back to normal? Go back to the way things used to be? Do you guys think? No. What about when the children of Israel said, let's go back to Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's go back to Egypt. Yeah. I think God has a tendency to lead his people to places they've never been. Yes. And I think that maybe this pandemic, while we may view it as evil. God can turn it into something good for the church. It could be a catalyst Mm -hmm. that allows the church to transform and meet the needs of a diversified culture. Right. So I'm just going to let you guys share your heart. Share your heart. What change is not happening in the church. I'm talking about conversion. Conversion is not happening in the church. And I'm meaning at a rate that will change the course of our nation. So conversion has got to happen outside of the building. Yeah. And I think one of yeah. the things that we've learned is church doesn't just happen in a building. Right. Church has gone on. In fact, uh, when, you, when you look at scoreboards like giving, you know, statistical information, I know there was a long time I, I was concerned that giving would dry up and ministry would that's paid for ministry 
would really suffer. And I know my pastor, Jamie, he, I would ask him. He can tell you. I would say, what was the, what was the giving last week? And he would say, well, you know, our giving has been up. But now every pastor couldn't say that. So maybe it's time that uh, we're ready to recognize that church happens anywhere, yes, anytime. And instead of spending all of our energy and all of our money and all of our efforts getting the community to come to a building, maybe it's time the church went out into the community. Mm-hmm. Mobilize, and made a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Mobilize and go out. Yes. Yeah. Prepare to serve. Yeah. Yes. I think that's exactly right. You men have heard this shared many times. We don't go to church. We are the church. Mm-hmm. And it is time for the church of Christ to be out in the world. Yeah. In the world, but not of the world. Well, he tells us to go. But everything we've ever learned has been we're going to stand here and let them come. I've even them. heard it said, if we build it. Yeah. <laughs> Field of dreams. It was actually a baseball game. Right. Yeah. You know, Yankees yeah. and White Sox. Else? White mm-hmm. Sox. Yep. Field of dreams. Yep. Yeah. But I think we oftentimes wait for people to come to us. Right. Yeah. We're going to open the doors and people are going to come. Mm-hmm. And guys, I'm just going to be honest with you all. You all know the church crowd, the people who have been, discipled into knowing the church rhythm how normal church should go when the least of these come in when the adulterers come in when the people who've got a pass come in they may not be conditioned for proper orderly church service Mm -hmm. they may be disruptive at times yeah when we bring the van kids in they may not know how to act and they might make a mess in church yeah. You know what we've been called to do? Love them. Mm-hmm. I think so often we say, yeah, if you don't get yourself under control, then you know, we're gonna have to take certain measures. Or we don't you shouldn't act like that in church. And I, right. I, I get it. Church is a this is a sacred place and there are you know, I guess you'd say there's rules and a, a code of behavior and conduct that we should have in the church. But when, when some of these people come in, we got to show them love yeah. and grace and not worry about what's on the outside because the Holy Spirit don't work from the outside in. He doesn't tra- change us from the outside in. He transforms us from the inside mm-hmm. out. Yes. And, 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 and that's when, a, we, when we focus on discipleship. Mm-hmm. And, and Dennis, for me, that's the biggest thing that I've taken away from my post-pandemic ministry is we must focus on discipleship. Amen. So, but let me let me ask, what are churches doing now that's different than what they were doing 24 months ago? How does it look different or feel different? If it does, maybe it doesn't, but I'm thinking live streaming has changed everything. Mm-hmm. The way we think about it. Yeah. And I do think that live streaming is going to continue and probably will grow. See, we don't like change historically, especially here in in the southeast. In Appalachia, man, we don't like it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, everything's changing change at work. You know, the way I start my car has changed now. Uh, the computer software. I, I hate the new operating system. I've got to learn a new computer. <laughs> and by George, there's one thing not going to change, and that's my church. <laughs> I like it, and I'm comfortable. And we've had that attitude, Mm -hmm. and we've been forced to change. And maybe we've hung on to some things out of uh, personal preference. And we have a generation of millennials now, and uh, we have not reached them with the gospel. Mm -hmm. So when I was preaching in 1990, we're one generation away from a totally godless society. When I was preaching that in 1990, people would say amen, and they believed that, but they didn't know it. the next generation was going to be that godless society. But it is. got to do something different. And uh, so we can hop to, from one extreme to another, and, you know, that's usually not a good thing, and the extreme 
new movement is, you know, to start a church or change our church so that the template looks modern, you know, get some smoke on the stage and blue lights, uh, some yeah. strobes and <laughs> get somebody up there in their skinny jeans jumping up and down and, and, you know, let everybody light their lighter and wave them. I'm, I'll be honest with you. God doesn't care if you remember, you won't remember, you're not old enough, but I can remember back in the seventies, you could buy them at uh, Woolworths and those kind of stores, roses, these hippie beads you could hang over your bedroom door. Yeah. So when you went to your bedroom, you fish your way through those strings of beads. God doesn't care if we hang hippie beads out at the front door. God don't care. That's not what matters. Mm-mm. So I'm not condemning different or modern approaches to music. But what I am saying, we can't put our faith in that approach. Right. Our faith, our 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 power has to come from the Holy Spirit, yeah. not in not in style. And we put so much emphasis on style in our culture. I mean, style, the little tag on your shirt or the name on your purse or your shoes. I mean style is so important. And somehow we try to bring that into the church. And God's not impressed no. with those things. No, he's not. Quiet, washed sepulchers. It's all about lifestyle. And when our lifestyle becomes about him, yeah, and, and we're totally right. surrendered to who he is, mm-hmm. and we're following him, the spirit in us will draw. So, so that tells me that the church in general, we've not been sold out to Jesus. We've not had the lifestyle of whatever it takes. I'm going to be at the throne throne room bowed before him saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Feed me. I need you. Help me. Send me where you want me to go. You lead God and direct me, Father, because if I drive this thing, I'm going to put it in the ditch. But if you drive it, yeah. I'm going to fulfill your purpose for my life. So that tells me that a lot of people that are sitting out here below the pulpit, I'll be honest with you, I struggle with that pulpit being up. <laughs> I like to be level with them because here's the deal. I'm the same as them. Mm-hmm. I'm, you give me the little stand and let me stand on the floor, I'm good because I'm the same as them. I think we've – we don't take me wrong here, boys, but we've put the pastor on a pedestal, and the pastor is going to get us to heaven <laughs> because we're watching him, and we're good as long as he's doing what he's supposed to do. I don't have to read. I don't have to study. I don't have to pray. I don't have to do my devotion. I don't have to do all these things. I don't have to go to my closet and, and, and seek the father. You know, I don't have to go out and feed the homeless. I don't have to go out and help the widow. I don't have to go out and help the orphan because my pastor is, is taking care of that for me. So therefore we've got a congregation that is lukewarm, cold and dead mm-hmm. has no life. Therefore they have no lifestyle. God. And that's the bottom line. So I really think, uh, I may be totally off base here, but I really feel like the church right now, the set apart church, the call church, we're standing and we're looking at the promised land. And if we have enough faith and enough belief that we can walk in there and take it, our land that God has promised us, we're on the cusp of that. That's where we're going. And and we've got to be led by the spirit to say, hey, if what if they're not coming into these four walls, we're going to go out in the yard and meet. If they're not coming to these four walls, we're going to go down to Hardy's and we're going to have a meeting. We're going to go and do what God's called to do. Because when this thing hit, our youth pastor here, I coached basketball with him. And and he was mowing yards during the pandemic. And, and the Lord told us, hey, we're meeting with these kids. So next thing I know, we're meeting in the backyard at his house. Mm. I think there was one night, there were 60-something kids showed up in the middle of a pandemic. You know, and, and everybody's like, well, are you guys being safe? Are you this and that? Are you this and that? Hey, listen. We're just preaching the gospel to them. This podcast was birthed off of In the Forge when we were going online. Roman was going online doing Facebook Live, and we got together and doing this. And this podcast, Truth Revival, was birthed out of this. I don't know if it would have happened without the pandemic. Right. right. You know, right. So that's so, one of the changes. That, yeah. yeah. That's a change. I think we're going to see Sunday services undergo a continual metamorphosis. Ooh, that's good. 
It's going to happen. Mm. We're going to have to depend on, more depend on God. My lifetime as a Southern Baptist, it's always been we get a theme as a convention, promote the theme, expect God to move. And we've had some catchy themes. Yeah. Remember GPS? <laughs> yes. You remember God's plan for sharing. <laughs> a million more in 84. I remember these themes. And but what it's done, it's trained us mm-hmm. as a people to think that if we do a good enough job, then it's all going to work out. Mm. And what we have to recognize is that very first beatitude when Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, mm-hmm. for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Listen, that word he used for, there's two words in the New Testament that are translated into English as poor. One of them is a word that's used like when the the lady, the widow gave two mites and Jesus commented she gave more than everybody else. And, And the word poor meant she just had very little. But in in two instances, there's a different word used. Once is describing Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus was poor. He had nothing. And that's the word Jesus used when Mm -hmm. he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. We can't come to Christ saying, Lord, I don't have much, but I'm bringing what I've got. My talent is not great, but I'm going to use it for you. We have to approach him recognizing that we have nothing to we are bankrupt mm. spiritually. Yep. And those are the folks who inherit the kingdom of heaven. Those are the worshipers who are going to have an effective church ministry and congregation in the days to come. I also, I also think not only is the way we do church on Sunday going to look different I think that churches are going to have to move into the communities more. We're going to have to see. See, in the past, it's people have been afraid of losing control, losing control. And you know, I've had people try to condition me to keep control of this or that. I don't need to keep control. I need to let control go. Amen. And and influence it by scripture, and I can dis- you can discern yeah. if things are getting away from what pleases the Holy Spirit. But churches are going to have to get into the community, and that means taking the Lord's Supper into folks' homes. That means going into, uh, yes, like like Paul said, where the audience is, where the fish are, finding those kids. What a treasure. Yeah. And, in, you know, it, it, typically, historically, I've been trained to think, go home and think, now how can we do something with those kids? How can we get them to come to church? You know, maybe we need to buy a bus and bring them to church. But take the church right there to them. Yeah. Mm. Yes. You know, Dennis, you were talking about the changes in the church and trying to control... And guys, I'm about to drop something on you all. I hope you all are ready for this. But since COVID, we've had two men walk into our church and they've been wearing a hat. I'm, there's a little tongue in cheek there. You know, like, <laughs> you guys. I'm really, lost, man. No. I don't have no idea where you're going with that. Usually, if it's like when a person comes in and they're wearing a hat, it's like you better remove your hat or you can't yes, come to church. Reverence, yes. I understand that. You know, but post COVID, we've had some people who are not tradition. They they don't have they've not been conditioned for church, and so when they come in, they don't know any better. <laughs> they don't know any better, and so Dennis, that's one of those things. You know, is that worth controlling and saying, "Hey, if you're going to come in church, you can't wear a hat," or "Men, you better wear pants," "Women, you better wear a dress." You know, is that one of those things that's like, is that a hill we want to die on? Well, I'm certainly not going to go there and, and, and charge in that battle. 
I I realize that is an issue in many places, and and what we you know God gives us a brain, and you have to be smart enough to know when you walk into an atmosphere and you're the only one doing or wearing what it is you're doing or wearing, you got to be smart enough to recognize you're different. And, and hey, the Bible teaches, we, we talked about grace. We throw the word grace around. We extend grace to those folks, and we give them an opportunity to learn. But I'm never going to I'm never going to raise a sword on a clothing issue or a hair issue. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I said a while ago, you know, God don't care if we have hippie beads. He don't care if we come wearing Jesus shoes. And, and I, you know, yeah. he doesn't care if you've got a hat on. I feel I like re- it should still be appropriate and modest. But, yeah. That, you know, I understand the-, the reverence issue as well. The same is going to be true. Some some congregations will have their tumbler of coffee on Sunday morning right there with them. Mm-hmm. And other congregations, you know, it will have a sign posted in the foyer. I made this statement behind the pulpit not too long ago. I said, I've been over to Israel. And those people don't know who Bill Gaither is. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know what Southern Gospel music is. That's right. No. And, you know, we have a lot of traditional churches right now. And if it ain't out of that red back, yeah. it's not of God. I've had mm-hmm. some old timers say, when are we going to go back to singing in the choir? Mm-hmm. Because I believe that choir has become an idol in our church mm-hmm. when worship, Jesus, should be the object yeah. of our affection. Amen. Worship should take place in every pew, regardless of, of where you're at. And so... For me, in this post-pandemic, we must be focused on Christ. And in, in one of our earlier oh, yeah. podcasts, I'm just going to real quickly hit these. Paul will know what I'm talking about, and you guys will uh, will, uh, will agree with this. It was out of Acts chapter 2, the um, functions of a church. Just real quick. We don't have to elaborate on them because we did in this episode. But post-pandemic, this is where our focus needs to be. And we need to reorient ourselves so that these are the main focuses of our church. Evangelism, that needs to be a priority. Discipleship, instructing people in righteousness, encouraging people to study the Word of God. Worship, making sure that worship is impactful and meaningful. Also, make sure that the church is serving in ministry, being the hands and feet of Christ, showing the love of Jesus Christ out into the community and through the church. And then fellowship. We must be building relationships. Yeah. And and how how a church does all that stuff? Well, each church is kind of an autonomous body and they can kind of but each church needs to have those functions or needs to be able to identify those in some way. And so here's what happened to me through the pandemic as a pastor. I was wondering why is it that we do what we do? We did some things out of tradition. We did some things just kind of out of habit. And through this pandemic, it has forced me to take a step back and through the Holy Spirit, try to gain a vision for my church. Who are we and what are we about? And this is what I did. It's out of Habakkuk chapter two, verse number two. And the Lord answered me and he said, write the vision. Yeah, I like write that. the vision. Yep, but I I wrote it all down. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, and now we're now we're trying to understand it. I'm yeah. trying to disciple people. Who are we as a church? Good, good. Write the vision. Make it plain upon tables. I didn't put it on tablets of stone. I put it in Google Docs. Okay, yep. <laughs> it's on. Same. <laughs> That's what I did with. <laughs> write the vision. Same. Make it plain upon tables, that he may run, that readeth it, mm. or so that he may have confidence, so that he can know what he's doing. And so I'm, I'm hoping that our church, as, as through this pandemic, that because I had some, I battled a lot of self doubt through the pandemic. Dennis, you talked about live streaming. Yeah. Here's one of the things about live streaming. It'll tell you how many people's watching. <laughs> <laughs> and when I was live streaming, a service for our church, we can have upwards of 150 in our church. Two people were watching. 
I thought to myself, this ain't it. Mm-hmm. We're not connecting with the body. And that has, that's what happened during the pandemic. We became disconnected. Yes. The body became separated. And you know what? Each, each one of our lives were good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, everybody was going out on the lake. Everybody was still having ball games. Everybody was buying new campers and things and going yep. shopping and having clothes and all that stuff. But the church mm-hmm. was suffering. Yes. Yeah. And as a pastor, yeah. I felt every bit of it. Oh, yeah. Because I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I yeah. felt like our church was dying. Mm. Well, you said early, you said that we might be going back into those days where we can't meet again. That bring, I'm, I'm not necessarily agreeing with that. That may happen. I certainly hope it does not. But there's a fourth thing I've talked about how that church might change, the live streaming aspect, et cetera. I believe the pandemic has changed the way that the church is going to look at our government forever. Yeah, I do agree with that too. Keep going. I'll be honest. There's probably some folks that were happy to go on Sunday morning and not go on Sunday night because if we weren't meeting on Sunday night, they weren't going to get judged for laying out anyway, right? So there's probably some folks happy with that. But they missed Sunday morning. If they were twice a month, they missed it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They got into their flow. Now, does the Word of God set a template that we have to meet three times a week? It doesn't. It doesn't. And, in fact, there will be missionaries that are planted in places where there is no church, and they never meet as a church. Every time they meet, they're trying to make a disciple. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't yeah. mandate that we have to come together for corporate worship, it encourages us to do that. And it says, even so much the more as you see that day talking about yep. the end times approaching mm-hmm. because there's strength for us. And so that brings me back to the choir. Uh, we've all got a personal preference. I mean, there's some things that just don't turn my crank mm-hmm. and some things do. Some of the music that I hear on modern Christian radio some of it, man, I don't even understand what they're saying, and it doesn't bless me. I'm so I've, I've got my personal preference. Here's the difference in choir music, regardless of the style, and not choir. It's participation. That's the importance of choir. If you look back, now these statistics are, are going to be from pre-2010. But when I was serving in St. Louis, I was not the majority as a Southern Baptist, okay? The, the, almost everyone, it seemed, was either Lutheran from the St. Louis Synod, which is the conservative group, or Catholic. Southern Baptist, there just wasn't that many of us. And one of the things that I learned was the fastest at that time, the, the denominations experiencing the greatest increase of membership were Lutherans and I'll, I'll say Pentecostals. Most of them were assemblies of God in that area, but I'll just group Pentecostals together. And the reason, and this came from a study, a Lifeway study, and uh, the reasons that they were giving for their growth was participation. In the Lutheran church, every service, you go forward and do communion individually. And you participate in an act of worship. And in the Pentecostal churches, everybody's on their feet and their hands are in the air and they're participating in worship. So when it comes to, you know, the, what I'm accustomed to, what I was raised on. And, I mean, I was raised on hacking, preaching. I can relate to it, man. <laughs> it's not a hillbilly thing. You know, it began in Wales. It came across the pond from Wales, that style of preaching. Mm. But the only pocket where it exists now is in Appalachia. So, you know, some folks just write it off in monotones. But I, I grew up on it, so I can relate to it. It's not my style of delivery. It never has been, and I've never even wanted it to be. But I can get blessed by it because, you know, I had pastors, man, that I loved that pastored me, and that was their style of when delivery. When a man gets in that cadence and that rhythm, 
you can get fired up. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I heard it right here many times right here at Poplar Bluff growing up, going back to the days uh, of Kenneth Watson. And uh, some years ago, my mom found a cassette tape of Kenneth Watson, and I hadn't heard him preach, see, in, in like, gosh, 30 years or longer. And I got that cassette tape and plugged it in just a Sunday night service right here. And it reminded me of what a giant behind the pulpit he was. Man, he could preach. So participation in worship, that's the, imp- that's the beauty of the choir. And if we can participate in a way that's not, you know, foreign to us, then that worship can take place. Let me read a quote here, Dennis. It says, what's unique about Christian worship is that the people singing back are not singing with or to the audience. It is direct worship to God. And this is what a person said through the pandemic. They said, I miss worshiping in unity. Mm. I can worship in my car. Right. Yeah. But there's something about worshiping in unity with the body of Christ. And I can't wait to get back to church because that's where I feel Jesus the most. I agree. I can be blessed watching YouTube. I can be blessed watching TV preachers. But being in the house of God, yeah, being connected where you can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit moving through this house, there's something special about it when people join together for that cause of lifting up the name of Jesus. Yeah. Jamie, you've been kind of quiet. I know well, that you've been, I've been got... gleaning off uh, what, brother Den- <laughs> what Brother Dennis has been talking about. Tell us a little bit about your church and, and <clears throat> well, your strategy. I know that you've elaborated on that. But... Yeah, so what he's talking about has kind of made me rethink things. Um, a real strong discipleship focus is where I've been for, well, just before the pandemic and through the pandemic and now especially. And God's began to work some things out, um, which... You know, it, it may be at a later time. I tell you, man, we got this thing's rolling. I'm gonna tell you about it and come back and tell you and tell you guys. But um, not that I would invite myself on a on the pod. This is cool. So uh, there's times that you know there's certain places you go preach, and the spirit of God is so strong. You would call the preacher and say, "Hey, when are you gonna have me back?" Can I come back? <laughs> yeah, can I come back? Yeah. So discipleship in 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 the way we all grew up, more than likely. Uh, remember the training union days. Now, some churches may still have the training union, but to them, discipleship is another class, right? It, it's uh, you got Sunday school, you got discipleship training. It's a class, basically, is how uh, how it's labeled. Well, one year, I don't remember what year it was, but sometime back at Youth Reach, I do remember that. Um, the preacher brought up. It was a young preacher. He brought up how Jesus ministered, and he said. If you look at the way Jesus ministered, he spoke a lot, or he spoke to the multitude at times. Uh, then he spent a lot of time with the 12, and he spent even more time with the three. And so it's like G- even Jesus in his own life, he, he understood the importance of training a few people who would go change the world later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there were times he just was with Peter, James, and John. Uh, and, and so there was that aspect of it. Well... I didn't really know how to make that work. And uh, and Delano's not a really big, big church. Uh, and so one of the things you find with people, if you start this idea but but of, of smaller, right, going smaller and building like small groups and things like that, you hear large churches having small group ministries, even outside of Sunday school. And that was kind of where my heart was. How do you build this? How do you build this? When you go talk to people, they're sort of like, why do we need small groups, right? We're not big like uh, Severe Heights or like Bellevue and Memphis or whatever. We don't need that. Well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with how to make that happen. And so I took a discipleship class, uh, which was helping me along. But then started listening to Replicate. They have a podcast. And uh, Robbie Gallaty is the host of that, the pastor at Long Hollow Church in um, Nashville or Hendersonville. He said that Bill Hull, the way he described Bill Hull, was that he put the uh, hip in discipleship. That's what, that's what he said about Bill Hull. Bill Hull is uh, some big discipleship guru guy in California. So Robbie flies out there, uh, goes up to him and says uh, in his office, 
I have a revolutionary idea for discipleship that's going to change the world. I got this idea. I want to throw it at you. It's brand new. God give it to me. Nobody else. He said, well, lay it out for me. He said, Jesus preached to the multitudes, discipled the twelve more, and spent more time with the three. He said, I say we have a congregation which represents the multitude, uh, 12, which is small groups, which represent the 12 disciples, and the three, which is more intentional, more uh, more vulnerability, all that is your smaller groups of just men discipling men or women discipling women. He said he never will forget that Bill Hull looked at him and said, that's not your idea, Robbie. John Wesley did it. <laughs> so, so let me We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Paul, after a long day of work, you're tired, Heather's tired, or maybe even after church on Sunday afternoon, everybody's got to eat. So where are you going? I'm going down to see Juan and the family at Senor Lopez, 105 Mecca Pike, Teleco Plains, Tennessee, where the food is fresh and the family is welcome. Come home for dinner at Senor Lopez. And now for the continuation of post-pandemic ministry. Take it away, Jamie. John Wesley did this. And these are things that, uh, and I'll tell you how I bring this back around to the pandemic and how God has started working in my heart and where we're headed. So Wesley had his congregation he preached to. You know, people would flood. They want to come in, uh, all those guys back then. So Wesley formed what he calls these bands, and they were small groups, and they were of uh, men and women together. They would disciple. So, like, uh, you know, you and Corey would be in a group with, say, Paul and his uh, you know, wife and maybe another couple. Uh, you would meet once a week, and you guys just pour in each other's lives in your home or wherever. Sunday school is also kind of what you would call a small group. Uh, so he has these small groups. And then he said he formed these even smaller groups of men discipling men and women discipling women. Well, get this. You, you got a ticket every time you went to a discipleship group. You were not allowed in the congregation on Sunday if you didn't have your ticket. People wanted in so bad that they would take old tickets. They didn't want to go to groups. They would take old tickets and try to sneak in. Now, what if you came to Poplar Bluff Sunday morning and said, if you don't have a t- if you weren't in a small group this week, you might as well go home. You would have an empty church, right? Right. Yeah. But for Wesley, it worked. So as I began to think about small groups and what does that look like, we formed a small group at my house every Tuesday. And I'm going to tell you, it's different than Sunday school. It is. Yeah. It, it's community. Mm-hmm. It is People start to, uh, look, the two couples that we got in our house were, man, these were people, one guy wouldn't even eat when he first came. He wouldn't even eat. Like, he said, my stomach gets tore up. I get nervous when I'm around people. Now he eats two or three times while he's there. Lays everything (laughs) on the table. We do that. And then we're that relationship now, right? Oh yeah. And so one thing Galilee always talks about is pastor, don't expect people or ask people to do D groups if you don't have one. So I have a D group I'm working with and spending time with and pouring time into these guys' lives. So as I'm thinking about this, this is how God began to bring all this together in sort of like a vision. So think about it like this. Did you hear this when the pandemic was going on? Smaller, 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 right? Remember, Bill Lee comes out and says, 50 people, no more than 50 people, right, in a room. How can we do this? Well, listen to this idea. I don't know if this would be something that we do, but I started kind of casting this to some people, and they liked it. What if, during COVID, if we had done this, what if you had small groups that you've trained, train your leaders, and there are six people at a time, and instead of people watching you in their pajamas from their house, they go to their group and they watch it online together. You still have community. You still have that going on with the church. Uh, discipleship groups uh, that are still meeting, that are still doing that. And here's also something else that, uh, that, that my desire is and what I'm trying to push is that missions. How have we done missions? How do we always do missions? Well, this is how I've always done missions. We were going to go to New York City in the summer of 2020. Well, we couldn't go. And so the idea was I went to the youth group, and I said, who wants to go to New York? Well, 20 people want to go to New York. We're going to do mission work. Well, you take a bunch of teenagers, some are ready, some are not. Some's heart's there, and some. 
what if your groups fuel all of your missions? I mean, it's like where, you know, you got New York, you have, let's say, two or three other cities. Instead of sending 20 people in one place, you you got four places you go with five people or three or, you mm. know, four places with 24 people. I mean, it is it is a way, and they can raise their own funding. So, you see, you're thinking smaller, thinking smaller. And so you're doing the discipleship. You're doing the outreach because you want to encourage them to make sure they're going into the community. You're smaller. You're doing discipleship that way. So uh, I don't know if you've ever done this, Roman. Probably not, but I have. Or Dennis. I don't know if Dennis has done this or not. But I love ministry, right? And I know you guys do too. And so I go into a church, man, and I'm like, what kind of ministry can we do? And so I start doing stuff and start getting volunteers and got this big vision I've thrown at everybody. And and the next thing I know, I've got five projects going that are never going to get finished, right? That's kind of how we do things. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what God showed me was your job is to equip the saints. You disciple people. You give them opportunities, and you tell them whatever God puts on your heart will help you get people and do it. And all I have to do is focus on the Word of God, focus on training people and loving people and doing the job I'm supposed to do. So this is how discipleship looks. Just think of the model of Jesus. I mean, uh, so my vision for our church is that every week we got groups of men and women sitting in coffee shops, sitting in Hardee's. There's been twice that I've been in there doing discipleship and somebody has sat down and said, do you mind if I listen to what you have to say? Yeah. And, you know, it, we live in a world where people are looking for answers. So in, in a, in a post COVID sort of, or post pandemic era, I think this is a, a good way to kind of roll. So, so you're talking about strategic placement, you know, of your yeah. people. Yeah. Like little lights yes. out in the darkness. Yes. Oh yeah. Let me tell you yeah. about this. You, you talked about Jesus mm-hmm. making disciples. A lot of times we as pastors will base the success of our ministry on how many people are attending our church, the numbers. Jesus was the greatest to ever do it. He focused on 12. Yep. And one of them was a traitor. Mm. That's true. But Jesus poured himself into those 12 men, 11, and they became known as the ones who turned the world upside Upside down. down. Yep. And so, Jamie, I think that you're right on the mark with smaller. Bigger isn't always better. But that's one thing that we're taught in America, right? Yeah. Right. More horsepower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thinking Tim the Toolman Taylor. Yeah. Uh, bigger homes. Faster cars. That's that, Bigger's not always better, especially in when it comes to the church and, yeah. and discipleship. Dennis, you yeah. you want to say something over there? When we were closing the doors to public worship because of the pandemic, I think that we were churches were happily going that extra mile, and we were trying in the name of keeping our people safe. But when politicians ask us to shut down continuously and continuously and over and over again, governors, mayors, they had no problem with people. Uh, going to shopping malls or mm-hmm. packing into a casino. And so we, anyway, we're offended by that. But we have to remember we live in a secular society. Yeah, yeah. We don't live in a Christian society. So we've got to think again and moving forward, we've got to be more vigilant than ever to protect yeah. our right to worship corporately. That's right. and, and the best way to protect that right is to become essential to our community. Far too many yeah. churches have developed into social gatherings where like-minded people enjoy each other and yep. make no effort beyond the door. Mm-hmm. But we got to make a real impact. And to do that, we got to become a blazing fire that changes the world. And, you know, we heard stories during pandemic of, I, I don't know the church. I'm not endorsing the church. I'm just making a reference to the, a church, large church. I think it was in Houston. And they took offerings and they paid off a million dollars worth of hospital bills for people in the community. Yeah, I heard that. Amazing. Yep. Then just this past week in the Baptist Reflector, I read where Red Bank Baptist Church the pastor there, I don't know him, can't even remember his name. But they had discerned God wanted them to do something outside the walls with money. 
and they began looking for what to do. And through communication, God revealed uh, a pastor and his wife had, the pastor had been hospitalized for like seven months recovering from covid they paid a mortgage for seven months for somebody they didn't even know. They could have said, well, he's a pastor. He's got a church. But you know what? That church, I don't know what church it is. But that church may have been struggling just to keep his salary paid. That sounds a lot like Acts chapter 2. Acts mm-hmm. chapter yes. 2. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. In that, we model ourselves. We say, we teach Acts. We've preached for years how we've got to be more like the church in Acts. Yep. Now's our opportunity. That's right. Well, two things. I heard you say this today. I heard Roman on a former podcast. There's two things that Jesus tells us. Two things that is going to cause the world to know that he is who he says he is, that we love, that we have unity. I mean, that's, you know, those two things. United and love and then love the community. And you can't love the community when you're fighting in the church, though, right? And so right. when we come together and we love each other and we go with this mindset that we're going to see this community change. And we can take the pressure off by saying it's not us that changes it. God does it. We just need to be here with open arms saying, God, use us in whatever way you want to use us, and he'll, he'll do it. Let me say one last thing about discipleship, too. Discipleship is more, the word is the centerpiece, right? But it's more than that. I'm not just there to teach you theology. I'm there to teach you how to live the way Jesus wants you to live, the way God wants you to live. So we just take passages in the Bible, and we ask questions like, what does this say about God? What does this say about man? What does it say about sin? And is there commands or there things in there I need to obey? And and Mm -hmm. when you're discipling people, those difficult things will come up from time to time. Those theological concepts will come up in passages, and you can teach it as you go. But... You know, we can get bogged down. You were talking about bogging people down with information. See, I was sitting down with everybody. I was going to teach them Old Testament survey, New Testament survey. Then we're going to get into theology. (laughs) We're going to talk about Revelation, whether you're premillennial or postmillennial or all-millennial and all that. Yeah. And so uh, to take the pressure off, man, that's not what it's about. Jesus did not even. If you watch how he reacted to people, he just taught them to love God and love their neighbor. I mean, that's really what he taught Everybody's on to something. I think discipleship is the key. Raising up. And one thing we haven't done, what happens when you lose a... What happens in the church today when a Sunday school teacher gets upset and leaves? You fight as hard as you can to raise up a new leader, don't you? You get them raised up and you get them in that class. Why aren't we training leaders as we're going along to be ready for this kind of stuff? Bring up an excellent point right there, Jamie. This is what I've been sharing in my church. Mm -hmm. I am trying to disciple myself out of a job so that the church doesn't need me. But let me tell you, pastors like to be needed. Yeah. Yeah. They want to be missed, but that's dangerous because that has created a dependency upon the pastor. Mm -hmm. We don't need to do that. We need to make disciples so that if somebody is sick, if somebody is out, if somebody does step down, the ministry of the church continues ahead. Mm -hmm. So, Discipleship, there's a lot of different discipleship strategies. Yeah. But it really boils down to this. We must all have a desire to have a closer walk with the Lord. As the Apostle Paul said, he must increase. Yes. And I must decrease. Yes. And if we can teach people to develop a communion and relationship with Jesus Christ, that Word of God will teach us. Yeah. Everything right. that we need to know. That's exactly right. Okay. And, and and the good thing, what we want to hear as pastors, I don't want to have to be stuffing things down people's throats. Right. And I feel like I do that a lot of times. Open your mouth. You're going to eat this. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know? And it's like, mm-mm, mm-mm. all right. Instead, I wish people would come to you and say, I've been reading this. What do you think about this passage? Mm-hmm. Oh, let me tell you about that. Or, you know, pastor, I've been re- reading this book on what it means to become a, a husband or godly father. What are your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. You know, instead of saying, "Yeah, God's called you to be a, 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 the leader of your household," mm-hmm. and you got men that they're not interested in being a leader in their household. They want to go bass fishing, or they want to, you know, make sure that they got plenty of money to pay their mortgage, or whatever. If I have to convince him, it's it's kind of hard. But if he falls in love with God and the Holy Spirit yeah. convinces him, mm-hmm. when the Holy Spirit does the thing, it'll stick. Oh yeah. Amen. If I do it, it it won't stick. You know. So Paul. Um, 
Won't you, won't you guys, I mean, we've been going here for about 50 minutes on this. This was an impromptu podcast mm-hmm. on uh, post-pandemic ministry. And mm-hmm. here's what I would like. I would like for anybody out there who listens and they disagree, get involved in the Facebook conversation. We, I don't want to say that we've just solved this problem in 50 minutes. I don't think so. Oh, no. But I think that if we have discourse and if we talk about it, yeah. then it creates awareness. We're not going to sit up here and say that we're totally right on everything. So we want to encourage people to get involved online. Truth Revival 37385, that's how you can find us on Facebook. And we'll definitely get uh, Jamie and Dennis on there. And we can hopefully try to promote some dialogue and discussion. But do you guys have any fi- closing thoughts? And then we'll let Paul wrap us up here. Okay. Roman, I do. In, in, in this, through the pandemic, through all the changes, the one thing that has weighed heaviest on my heart, I have become aware of areas where we've failed in the past. And repentance, I've had to do more repenting of old line thinking, traditional things that became sacred cows to me. And I've had to crucify pieces of my flesh like never before because I want to be effective. I'm running out of time, guys. Mm. I don't have that much time. And I want my last days to count. And Johnny Hunt made the statement last year. I heard him say it. He was talking to old guys. He said, your 60s can be your most productive decade. I'm hoping for that. I'm praying for that. I'm trying to gear myself for that, whatever that entails. And this could be the decade that the church really comes under persecution in the U.S. Yeah. You know, we think we're persecuted. There's crosshairs on our back. Mm -hmm. We can't deny that. Yeah. I mean, we live in a social culture. But when we, you know, we get held up in the drive through line, fast food, that's not persecution. That's no. inconvenience. Yes. <laughs> and, and yes. you know, we act like we're being persecuted sometimes. Yeah. Because then we end up showing out. That's yes. true. Yeah. That's true. Repentance. Yeah. Repentance. And, and, yeah. And, and real quickly, won't you give a shout out for your uh, devotional? Oh, well, I do write a devotional. Uh, this started. By accident, really. I didn't plan on it. Uh, my wife, we were married as teenagers and kids, and she passed away after 38 years to colon cancer. During her illness, she was a private person. She wanted to to get a group of women praying for her that she could share what's happening during this crisis and treatment, but she didn't want to be sharing it to the world. She didn't want to be somebody's topic at the dinner table. And so she was making entries online in a private group. And then as her uh, physical ability deteriorated to where she could no longer write, she asked me to continue that. And after she passed away, my writing was different than hers and took a devotional turn. And so we renamed it. It's, It's on Facebook called Soul Inspiration. And it's a private group. But I write a devotion. The idea behind it is we, we take a book of the Bible, and I go chapter by chapter. It's not a Bible study. In each chapter, I'll pick out a verse or a few verses and make some devotional comments about those verses. The idea is that you read that chapter that week, and we cover a book together. But I'm not teaching a verse-by-verse Bible study. That's, that's not what it is. And it's been... Uh, it's really grown. There's almost 7,100 people in that group. Incredible. And, uh, and I, I am writing also. It's not the same each week as the Facebook, but if you do get the Daily Post Athenian or the, the Advocate, I do have a column. It'll be the same in each newspaper that's in those each week. The Advocate, I think, is Wednesday. The DPA is on Fridays. So it's just another opportunity, and I'm looking for things that might get overlooked. Those are the verses I'm looking at. So it's a challenge. We're going to be starting the book Gospel of Mark on Facebook for next Wednesday. So if you're not a member in that group, just hit your little search thing, Soul Inspiration, and it's a blue background. You'll find that 
just request to join. We will put a link in the description of this episode's podcast. Excellent. Dennis, we love you, brother. Jamie, how about you? Just closing thoughts on post-pandemic ministry. I would just say, uh, let's get back to what Jesus taught us. You know, we have one commission, the Great Commission, and we've somehow messed that up, man. (laughs) I mean, he's like, this is it. I mean, you know, and Danny Aiken from Southeastern Seminary says this, (laughs) last words is lasting words. Yeah. I mean, last words is lasting words. And uh, so when uh, the Son of God, before he ascended, left this commission to the disciples, we need to take it serious. And uh, so, uh, and here's the last thing I'll say about that. Did you know that Jesus... Being God, did not, and, and when he said, I'll be with you to the end of the age, he's not saying unless you have a pandemic, and then there's no way to do it. There's no way to do discipleship. Right. Um, we need to do what he tells us to do at all times. So I think um, coming out of this, that we can begin to think in, in smaller. And if you notice, the world's getting to this mindset. I mean, you go into a grocery store, they have checkout. You can check out. People just do not want to be bothered and so i feel like that it's easier probably to get lost people to come to your home and have a meal with you and your group Mm -hmm. and you sharing the gospel with them uh, at least a few times before they come to church so these are the kinds of things that sort of got me thinking uh into the future so i want to encourage everybody to jump out there and and dive into discipleship well i like that dive in dive in dive in paul won't you close us out here it might take a few seconds it's okay it's all good yeah it might um I really uh, totally 100% agree with Jamie. And, and, you know, here at Pomper Bluff, we did some small groups on Sunday nights, which were super-duper effective. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing about it. I I really feel like starting going back to small is going to be the key. And and here's why. Because when, when we're living in sin and we're walking in sin, we get a redo by the blood of the Lamb. Mm-hmm. We get a redo. Yep. Listen to what Jesus, he's talk, he was praying for his disciples. But listen to this, mm-hmm. how small this is and how intimate this is. It says, I'm not asking on behalf of them alone, but also on behalf of all those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may, may be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Yes. That's super small. Mm-hmm. I and you, you and me, and us and them. It's intimate. It's small. Listen, I have given them the glory you have gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Come to, coming together in unity as one in a small, intimate setting. One in Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, my soul, and body, and love your neighbor yourself. You think about loving your neighbor yourself. If I'm loving my neighbors, I've got one on the right and I've got one on the left. So that if there is a husband and wife over here, that's two. If there's a husband and wife and two kids over there, that's four. So that's six. That's a small group. So I've got to show and portray the love of Christ to those people there that are never going to probably come in here with me until I actually get to know them. They actually see that I'm for real. They actually see that I genuinely care about their kids, about their dog, about their yard, about their home, about everything that they care about, that I really give everything that I have to that, and and I'm concerned. Then they'll come with me here. And they trust you. They trust me. Yes. They trust me. And I want to leave on this. I know he expanded on this in the first, but listen to this. One in Christ, when we become one in Christ, that's a small number. Him and me. Him and me. That's really, But now, this is in Ephesians. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And if there's anything in our world post-pandemic, it is full of hostility. By abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one, Jamie, Jamie, I love you, man. This is so good. (laughs) One new man in place of two. So make him peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, small. He's making. He's coming together small. To, he's coming small to go big. 
thereby killing the hostility that's in the world because of what he did. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have one access by one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Amen. Bringing us all together. Unifiers. Together. Community. Community overcomes adversity. I will say it again. Community overcomes adversity. The unification of the church, the unification of the believers is going to overrun death, hell, and the grave. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, listen to this, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together. That community are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. Drop the mic. Jesus wins. (laughs) Boom, baby. Amen. All right. Well, guys, that's going to do it for this episode. We want to thank everybody for tuning in. God bless y'all. Dennis. Jamie, we love you guys. Thank, Thank you all you for, for tuning in. Thank you for that last week. That's going to do it for us, guys. 